0: Welcome to another episode of Sales with Aslan. I'm here with one of our top ranking senior stars at Aslan Training, Jason Smith. Uh, he's one of our consultants and um, I wanted to have him on the show because we were hanging out today uh, and talking about something I think would be very relevant to a lot of our listeners. Uh, but before we dive into that, let's just let's 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 say hi to Jason. How you doing, Jason?
1: Hi, Jason's doing fantastic. If I was doing any better, I'd have to take something for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad. Well, if, if, if I hope Tab's not going to be mad at you for filling in.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's his fault for being away, right? So. Yeah,
0: well, Tab is, uh, he's actually at West Point. Uh, his second son is graduating, second son to graduate from West Point. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so he's there. So I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you stopping by the studio and hanging out with me today. But, no worries. Uh, is, is this
1: the part of the show where I shoot shots at West Point since I went to the Air Force Academy? Is that oh, what I'm yeah, supposed to do? I
0: forgot be? about it. <laughs> no, yeah, you, can't, yeah. you can't. You can't. Uh, can't you do can't do that. You can't give West Point a hard time. Tab, Tab wouldn't like that.
1: He wouldn't like that. Okay.
0: Especially <laughs> since he's head of delivery.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure,
0: I'm sure the Naval Academy is is just as prestigious.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Just as prestigious as West Point, but... uh... We'll work on the Air Force Academy status. They're working on that. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't, right. I don't know much about All I know is that I couldn't get into any of those schools or any divisions of the military. I probably could get into the divisions of the military, but I don't think I could get into any of those schools. Um, <laughs> so the topic today, which I was really excited to talk to you about because of your, your specific experience at IBM, as we were kind of chatting um, in our lobby area about uh, your experience Selling or working with an organization that had what? What did you tell me? Ten thousand SKUs. Ten
1: thousand SKUs. Yeah, at IBM, I was yeah carrying a large portfolio of products. So Mm -hmm. you're
0: you're one of you worked in a specific division, a large portfolio of products, and. You know, one of the challenges that we constantly see when we work with organizations is that, you know, sellers get very comfortable selling a couple of products. And mm-hmm. then also customers are really interested in a couple of products. And mm-hmm. so they, are, they struggle with how do I move from selling a product that may be hot, a product that I understand, or a product that's in demand, to selling, to transitioning to selling a total opportunity, Selling a, a large solution, and how do I navigate that? And I think you, um, as we you know learned when I first met you, you you were very successful at selling a solution. So I wanted wanted to have you on the show to talk about how you you transition. So so give us a little background on your experience of you know what what was happening when you started at IBM. And, yeah. and how did you, how do you make that transition and ultimately become a star and then move into ultimately now where you're consulting and training sales organizations all over the world? I and mean, you just got back from Greece last week, right?
1: Just got back from Greece. Fantastic team, uh, large sales organization. And what I dealt with early in my career is similar to what a lot of our Aslan clients have been dealing with over the years, which is a very huge portfolio and a very large branded organization. We've trained at HP for some time Mm -hmm. and you've got hundreds of reps with thousands of products. And uh, it's a challenge to kind of get narrowed down. So to your point about my background, I came into IBM after leaving the military on an inside sales team that had responsibility for the entire middleware portfolio. All around these uh, very mid-term, mid-sized companies, about uh, twenty million to two hundred and fifty, maybe half a billion. You know, okay. that's yeah. that's mid-market. Yeah, yeah, right. And the challenge so there's is a lot
0: of those companies, lot
1: of a lot, those lot companies, of those companies, tons big of them. Territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big territories, hundreds and hundreds of reps, and lots of products. Right, and that's where I found myself pretty much my second role in sales after leaving the military. So okay. it was a tough start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mm-hmm.
0: knew you, you had a good work ethic, you knew how to get things done. But yeah. this was a completely different role. So what was what was yeah. initially what was your challenge?
1: The, the biggest thing was that inside sales team, uh, even though we were full service reps, this wasn't uh, that mid tier lead generation rep, we had to take opportunities all the way to close we were full fledged reps just okay. inside. And the challenge was trying to take these very broad-based products in the middleware portfolio just to let you know what middleware is. You think about uh, your software IT environment, right? Right, You've got the hardware. Your hardware is one tier Mm -hmm. of your IT environment, the the big applications that sit behind and run things. And you've got the stuff that everybody touches, right? Your CRM system is the uh, software user tier. Right. And okay. middleware is the plumbing in between.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, that makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. Okay. Right. right. So we're so trying how to those sell things talk to each other how it works. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you you sold middleware.
1: Correct. And there to was these mid-level teams.
0: And there was mm-hmm. like 10,000 products that you could sell related to to that they were all relevant to middleware.
1: Yes. Wow. Yes, and okay. to their to their credit, IBM was very good about training people and aligning people with processes and technical information, but it was a very transactional model. They wanted us to hit the phones and, and link up with a lot of these existing IBM uh, clients to offer them solutions that they had no conception of. They didn't have an idea of what these products could do for their business, and it was very hard to be transactional. So you were
0: you were coming in and saying, oh, we have these." I mean, it, was it was it? Did you create the lead, or did the lead come in? I mean, did you? You know, how did you start the conversation? I mean, so what was the right. key to being successful um, in that role? Because I could imagine they're like they don't even maybe not even knew they had a problem. That you yeah. All.
1: I like the way you phrase that. What was the key to being successful? Mm-hmm. Because what we were traditionally taught as to how to go about it uh, was different than what was the key to being successful. They wanted us to be very uh, direct transactional with a mix of business. The leads would come from existing opportunities that had already been there. When I arrived, I was one of 600,000 people. And a lot of these opportunities were in the pipeline for some time that had started from Either online inquiries or some previous outbound sales team had reached out and started an opportunity, hadn't gone anywhere, but there was something there. And that was probably about 50% of the leads that were, were there for me. The rest, I had to generate myself by going out to Greenfield companies that couldn't spell IBM. (laughs) <laughs> and trying to find, <laughs> trying to find new business. How
0: about everybody could spell IBM? You would think. it didn't help you to, that you were with IBM and you could call any company and they would, they would, open the door and talk to you.
1: Well, that helped a lot, actually. The thing mm-hmm. is, is, that a lot of people who start off in these large companies, mm-hmm. um, they have the benefit of that trusted brand. So, getting meetings and getting opportunities is not the problem, okay. right? it's progressing the opportunities and getting the individuals you talk to Mm -hmm. to see the value in what that product is going to do for them, especially when there's so many IBM products that are competing for attention in the same account. You have to make your particular product stand out and get them to act now. And that came down to value. And that value usually wasn't in some product. It had to be in the vision that they had for what the product could do. And I had to learn that. They didn't teach that. I had to learn how to find the value in that vision. And that's the only way I could be successful, right?
0: So let me make sure I understand it. So if you're kind of, if you just think about a specific product or trying Mm -hmm. to lead with a specific product, it didn't go well because there's so many different things they're doing and looking at, it, and they didn't understand it. So you right. you were trying to sell more a vision or the what you said the value of the vision, yes, uh, what you could do for them. So how so basically what I'm hearing you say shift from selling some specific product, which is what they were telling mm-hmm. you to do. Uh, if you're going to go out and 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 really hit your number and you've got at least 50% of the people you're going after, they don't have any, you don't have any relationship with 50%. They've got some sort of relationship, which you could leverage. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about the, the people that you, you could get in the door, but they really didn't know what you could do for them. You could leverage the IBM name, which a lot of people can't, but you get in the door. So what, how did you, how would you get them to ultimately buy into this vision of what you could do for them?
1: Yeah, well, it started from understanding them. So for me, when we first got there, uh, we were taught and and trained to start to focus on the product. And I think that's where most sales methodologies or sales processes began is, hey, go in and pitch the product and get someone to say, I'd like this product and move forward. Well, it's easy to understand.
0: It's easy to Yeah, like, let's just narrow Mm -hmm. it down to a product that's really popular or hot and build a campaign around that and talk about the product, which is a good way to get in the door sometimes, but may not be the best way to really hit your number.
1: No, very tough. Well, a lot of people did hit their number by going after one hot product. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that anything that's hot cools off after a while. Even a brand, right? The IBM name might not be as popular one season to the next. So if you don't have the ability to go in and generate interest Uh, with those people who have no conception of what you can do or why your brand or that product is valuable, you're at square one and you have to have a certain set of skills. That's where I had to learn and I struggled at first with stop focusing on the product, start with the person and what problem they're trying to solve. Once you get done with that problem, it comes down to, all right, here's the problem. Now, what does your world look like if you solved it? That's that next step. Yeah, there was a little bit
0: about that. that because I think a lot of people skip over that. So I think yeah. a lot of times when people uncover a problem, it's kind of a specific business problem. Mm-hmm. And like, OK, got it. You want to replace your roof or you need uh, to improve, blah, blah, blah. Or, yeah. But, but you're talking about going deeper than just a business, maybe a business problem or a specific problem that the
1: product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, absolutely. And I'm, I'm speaking in this case to those uh, sellers or those product teams whose offerings are, are not so straightforward as just uh, Hey, you got a nail that needs driven. Here's a hammer, right? Right. It's very right. clear for people to see that, but if you have a service, some level of expertise, or you have a certain kind of product in my case, without going technical <laughs> and explaining yep. middleware again, right. If you were coming to someone's home and, you know, try to sell the plumbing, Mm-hmm. inside that house and you want to replace the plumbing or some new technology in plumbing, the house already has pipes. It already has plumbing. It already does something, right? And if you've got something that does that same thing marginally better, it's not about explaining that difference. It's about, well, what does your life look like around that? Mm-hmm. And that's where most sellers who have to sell a total solution or a project level solution, they fall down on getting out of that product mindset. Right, they keep going back to, well, it's got a widget. It does this, you know. That doesn't really translate to that movement for the customer to do something with. And that's where I struggled at first.
0: So, so, so so you, you, I love what you're, how you're describing that. So they've got, they need. You're going to talk about the plumbing, which may not be a may not be a perceived problem, right? If they know they've got a sink that's clogged, you can talk Mm -hmm. about whatever product fixes that. But if they're like, I don't know, it's plumbing, it's working. My software is working. My hardware is working. Middleware is working. So you gotta. So how do you get them to see the value of something when there is no perceived value?
1: Right. Again, this goes back to to people who are getting through their day without your expertise. Okay. They're getting through your day without your help, and they're limping along, and they know it's kind of painful. But eh, I'm making money. Things are working. That's how it was for me. In these technical software sales, I'm going into a team Mm -hmm. that's got, you know, hundreds of products, uh, technology solutions that are operating already, but I've got some marginal improvement. Right. So what I'd have to do is first through the uh, ability to just use the IBM brand. Hey, I'm IBM calling. They would take the call. The first thing we had to do was really talk about that person's world and make the conversations different. We were trained to talk about, hey, you're trying to buy this widget. Let's talk about the widget. I learned through a bit of trial and error. The first thing you got to start with is what are they dealing with? What does their world look like now? Which, surprisingly, you've probably seen this, Tom. A lot of people don't really know what their current state is. They don't really recognize where the pain is. Have you seen that in your space as well?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think of it always as a bridge. Mm-hmm. It's like they have a current state. It's always true. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a certain place Now, maybe they haven't thought about their current state related to their desired future state, but where mm-hmm. are they now? Where do they want to be? And then what's the bridge they're trying to build to get there? Everybody wants something. Right. So I always want to know where are they now? What do they want? And why do they want it? And mm-hmm. if I, if I, if that becomes something, if I can help them get there and I can offer something they can't get internally, then now mm-hmm. it's, it's there's a reason to continue the conversation.
1: And that was it, that reason. we say reason, the word that I came up with and what I I learned over time was why, right? Why fix it? Because most of the time they didn't really know exactly how bad the problem was to start with. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that there was any opportunity there to be gained. So first we started with them. You started with the person and the problem. And once you analyze what that problem was with them, uh, doing a lot of the stuff that I didn't even know at the time it was as related, you know, working on things that we teach about focusing on their needs first, we call it other centered, right? Mm-hmm. right. That would give them that, that uh, openness. We call it receptivity, that mm-hmm. rapport that they will want to tell me about what the problem is. And now I can start to build a case for, all right, well, where are you trying to go after we get clear on that? And we understood what the problem is. Now I could go back to all these 10,000 SKUs and build some sort of solution for them, which actually there's a point there. When you talk about building solutions, it's kind of levels you got to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times there's a product level solution. I like the hammer idea, right? Mm-hmm. You want to drive a nail, build a hammer, grab a hammer and smash it easy, it. right? Yeah, right. And you can sell as many hammers as you want for $2, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. you want to make a million dollars. How many hammers do you have to sell? Mm-hmm. But if you can help them kind of look at the bigger picture, right, you can now move up to project kind of, and through that rapport you get talking about their world and their future state, you can amplify that and say, what if you had, you know, some uh, pneumatic solution that could drive nails without the need of a hammer? Now, how many more projects could you do? You're expanding the scope and that's good because now you've upsized every individual opportunity and you've made everything you're presenting much more impactful for the business. Right. Mm -hmm. So in my case of middleware, right. (laughs) Plumbing, right. You're selling plumbing. Mm -hmm. No one really cares about the pipes that lead it there. They think about the faucet, the end end results. Right. But if you want to take it up a level to, well, what if you have multiple faucets, you need more water pressure. Now we're talking about a solution. That's a project that involves lots of different things. And that's more valuable to that end user. So that was the first thing to figure out what level of solution you wanted to, to calculate well, for this th- customer. I
0: think I understand. I'm also understanding that's a there's a risk there. And you, what, what mm. I'm hearing you say <laughs> yeah. is, is like I'm hearing you say that there's like using the the hammer level, you know, yeah, hammer versus the pneumatic, or uh, you know fixing fixing a pipe or offering a pipe versus water pressure for all the sinks. All of a sudden, the deal gets bigger. It gets right. more expensive and you have to decide, do I want to sell the one thing or do I want to sell the big thing? Small right. thing versus the big thing, because you can lose people if you go after the total solution versus the thing that they're most interested in. Yeah. Um, how do you make that decision?
1: Can I be honest with you? I actually struggled with that early on. Yeah, I really did. I had some individuals that said, we've been talking about this widget. We're not quite sure And in an effort to help them see the value of the product solution, Mm -hmm. you start this project level or enterprise business level conversation. Well, here's the reason why you need one hammer because your team of people could now all swing their hammers in unison. And to swing hammers in unison, you gotta have a metronome that synchronizes the strokes of the hammer. And once you do that, you need a person to manage that. But we have that too. And now they fall in love with this bigger conception of this enterprise-wide, right. big product solution, and they can't see the value in this product that you want to help drive in the next week, month, quarter, right? And
0: they don't buy anything.
1: They don't buy anything. Hey, what, what would we say? The, the confused mind does nothing, right? Yeah. We're always fighting the status quo. So you always want to simplify. Simplify, simplify, simplify as much as possible so that people feel it's Easy to take a step that the next step seems familiar. Mm -hmm. And to enhance this ability that I had to develop to create solutions, the next thing I had to do after we decide which level of solution and Mm -hmm. engineer one in our mind, before presenting it back, you got to know enough about the customer to translate it down, to dial it down to very familiar terms. Okay, great example. We've been talking about middleware, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of an abstract technology concept. We talk about it as plumbing. Yeah. Just so right. you can get the idea. So you can hold on to that, right?
0: Yeah. That's understandable. You're taking something that I'm not familiar with and you're connected uh-huh. to something that I am familiar with.
1: Right, right. Which, again... Given the larger size of the, 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 the deals that I was doing, I could go away and come back and do this. Mm-hmm. But even in real time, as you're talking to someone in the moment, mm-hmm. you got to understand it well enough so that if you have to do that translation and simplify it to some sort of a, a word picture, right? A simple phrase they can use, like it's like plumbing, a mm-hmm. simple short phrase. You got to have a deep knowledge of whatever you're dealing with in that customer's world to kind of translate it back. Especially if you know the person individually, If you know they're into basketball, you use a basketball analogy, right? Right, right, Oh, it's kind of like, you know, the, you know, football. It's like the combine, you know, we're letting everybody see the results before they hire someone, you know, that's it. So I had to build that skill before I even knew that was something that Aslan taught. We we teach about it in the concept of building value, Mm -hmm. right? Rather than just presenting a product, you want to use these familiar terms to build familiar value they can get their arms around. and especially in the IBM world, most of the time you're selling to these conglomerate uh, decision makers, right? Mm-hmm. These are groups of people that are buying by committee. So the person you spoke to has got to carry it forward. They can't say microprocessor transaction flux capacitor, but they can <laughs> say, you know, they can't do all of that. Right. But they can talk about plumbing. For example, we were doing a, a, a monitoring solution. Uh, imagine this data center, right? all the different applications in this one big data center. Right. And there was a solution that did all these monitoring, beep, 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 beeps, let you know whenever anything was going off. They, all these bigs and, and problems, that were alerts, problems. Yeah, that's, you know, simple to understand. But the person that has to manage that is busy running around chasing all these things, trying to keep track of it to the point where they get so many alerts that it's like, ah, I don't care. And they start to miss those critical... Connections between this alert. This alert yeah, means this one is going to go off. off
0: because it's just such- off. Yeah, right.
1: Correct. So how do you explain that in mm-hmm. simple terms? Well, I got down to the analogy of, you know, it looks like you're chasing chickens, herding cats. Now, I've never heard of cats. I've never chased a chicken. <laughs>
0: I've never chased. T- right? it.
1: There's a few people on the phone that's probably chasing and chasing right. chickens. Well, back, Rocky, you know,
0: we've all seen Rocky.
1: We've all seen Rocky, right? Yeah, but people get it. You know, people get it when you say chasing chickens. And what happened is when I was talking to the customer, I was like, look, you're chasing chickens and that's got to suck. Right. And that little bit, you you could see his whole expression change. He went from kind of listening to me intently, Mm -hmm. you know, and he kind of went, yeah. And suddenly that familiarity about his whole world and perspective and his, his shoulders relaxed. And suddenly he was like, I get it now. I'm tired of chasing chickens. That phrase chasing chickens was now his. His his uh, heuristic to carry that pain point to the other people in the group. Listen, man, we're tired of chasing chickens here, boss. You should hear Jason from IBM. He's going to help us stop chasing chickens. And as soon as he said it, they were like, "Yeah, I get that chasing chickens." So well, there's those an emotional simple, easy component terms. to
0: that because we're tired, we're frustrated. So it's not just it's not just you're saving money, or yeah, avoiding some risk or you know whatever whatever the financial benefit of uh, yeah, whatever, the data center, you know, breaking down or, or you know, whatever uh, problems it's alerting you to mm-hmm. you start to you can you can now connect to the pain of every day we're chasing chickens. How annoying, yeah. how frustrating.
1: It's funny you mentioned that, right? Because when you think about it, there's a lot of solutions out there that some of the listeners are providing offering that don't really have metrics that they drive that most of their customers already know
0: Yeah, right.
1: that that frustration we're talking about. Right, mm-hmm. Most people don't have a dashboard that tracks data center engineer frustration. They're not tracking that. Right. It doesn't show up on their annual reports. The CEO is not talking about reducing that number.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if we know our customers really well, we understand what that particular pain translates to how it connects right Hmm. Uh, all of these environments that everybody operates in real life is complex it's not complicated Hmm. right Right. Uh, a little push over here causes unexpected results over there here's another word picture for you it's kind of like um instead of a clock where every little piece is rigid you know you move something here you know exactly what's going to happen over there but in a person's world you know that complexity is more like a body system Mm -hmm. or an ecosystem where unexpected results come from small change over there uh, a little bit of pollution over here is going to cause a lot of problems down the road people aren't tracking that so if you Mm -hmm. get someone to understand something that you're driving some solution that provides those kinds of metrics those Mm -hmm. unseen intangibles you have to make them so familiar, they become tangible. And it's the language you use to describe it that makes that difference, right? Yeah, that makes perfect It's sense. the language yeah. you use that makes the intangible or not yet tangible. They're not tracking it. They don't know it's painful because they didn't mm-hmm. count it. You got to use a language that makes it very familiar first. Then they'll go looking for it.
0: Yeah, then you work with
1: them to quantify it.
0: What I'm hearing you t- say, and I think I totally agree, is that you know, there's this sort of which I think everybody defaults to is making communicating the financial benefits in a tangible Mm -hmm. way. It's like, if you buy this system, it's going to give you X Mm -hmm. and here's a use case, you know, or case study or, you know, ROI or cost of ownership or whatever. And we use Mm -hmm. like a financial Mm -hmm. mathematical equation, which is important. We need to do that. But I actually think what you're talking about is getting people to emotionally experience the benefit and Mm -hmm. to feel it and so being able to really dive deep in what you said at the beginning which is really understand what Mm -hmm. they want and why do they want it and what are they trying to accomplish which may not have anything to do with a specific product right Mm -hmm. but it's like let's just tell me about your world let's not talk about a product let's talk about what are you trying to do what are you trying to accomplish how are you compensated at the end of the year how are you going to have a how do you know you've had a good quarter bad quarter good year bad year and mm-hmm. what is it that you want? And why do you want it? And what's your plan to get there? And then if you can bring value to that, great. But you're also able to, to tap into the emotional emotional drivers mm-hmm. of the decision-making process and be able right. and now you're saying, I can address that by word pictures, analogies, mm-hmm. uh, tapping into that language, because mm-hmm. that's ultimately emotions drive decision-making.
1: They do. They do. I mean, even when you think about how logically based these decisions seem, yeah, the desire to make the right choice that drive these logical loops that people jump through in order to get to the right technical decision, right. it's driven by some emotion. They want to look good in front of their boss. They want to make sure that they don't uh, let down their stakeholders. Someone wants to get promoted or somehow they just have this this desire to have the most cutting edge, you know, something is there that's emotional for that. Well, even
0: even saving money, the emotion is what does the money buy you? You're you want the right. money to have the emotion associated with what the money gives you. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives you security or it gives you you can buy something that makes you feel mm-hmm. you know, I would my analogy is always a car. If we made a purely financial decisions, and that's what really drove everybody be driving the same car. Because there is Mm -hmm. a car that is the most economic car to buy. Now, you could argue that, well, you know, there may be three cars, one for, you know, carrying things, one for families (laughs) and one for, you know, single, you know, people or small families or just two people, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's sedan, SUV and truck. That's it. I mean, there's, you know, there's and then we'd all have one car like, well, that's the one that wins. It's the most economical, but that's not the way it works. We all want our specific unique thing that represents us, which is an emotion.
1: Exactly. I look too good in my green beetle. You know, that's exactly <laughs> what I want to drive around <laughs> with
0: in. the flowers. I love your
1: little Exactly flowers. that. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing I want to be seen in. Yeah. But no, you, you, you make a huge point there. And you talk about that emotion is the emotion that drives the desire to quantify those you know, currently intangible metrics, right? Mm -hmm. So how painful is it to chase those chickens, right? It's the emotion behind that, that goes to the investigation to help people quantify the financial benefits. We say this all the time, that people make decisions on emotion first and use logic afterwards. So that goes to the third step in the skills, my three skills that I had to learn was now working with the person that got that emotional vision, right? Now we have to value that vision. We have to quantify the value of that vision. So once they believe in, I'm sick of chasing chickens, mm-hmm. now they have to act. They need the logic mm-hmm. on top of that emotion. I'm tired of chasing chickens. I don't like it. Uh, this is impacting me personally. Or let's go the other way, right? We're talking pain. Let's talk about carrot. You know, no stick. Let's talk about carrot. We can see, and this is, where I, this is where I I, would lose people. I would cast these beautiful visions of what the future of the business could be. And I could upsize the multiple millions they could make in the future, right? Now that's what they want. They want that thing. Mm-hmm. And so we go down the path of trying to build this bigger solution. Can't really focus on the small piece. They got to figure out all this stuff first. You talked about that risk. To be clear, once you actually get to that point, but now you got someone that's embracing this potential beautiful opportunity, this gain or relieving this pain now, in order for them to justify to the rest of the the other committee members, they need to quantify the value of that vision. And this is where you as a seller have to be an expert in what does it mean? So chasing chickens, this goes back to time spent, right? And that's a very small bottom line benefit. But if you talk about the time that they save, That they can allot to other things. Now you can quantify how much more they could spend on this other project that's been lacking or quantify the mistakes that they've been making. It's not about that little bit of time savings Mm -hmm. that you calculate by man hours. It's the cost of a mistake when they miss something. Mm -hmm. Now you quantify it. The person you're talking to already believes it. They're working with you giving you insights that they didn't want to give you before now they want the vision now they're going to help you provide the value they will go into their you know look let me let me do a quick time study I'll get back to you next week call me on Thursday at three o'clock I'll tell you exactly how long it takes and Jason you helped me quantify this had that happen all the time because this person wants it now you have a sponsor inside the organization who's working to help you build this value of this vision that you all now share right I love it.
0: I love it. Yeah, that's a great. That's a really great point. It's it's the person that you're working with. They may just through the conversations intuitively get it. It's like you've used, Mm -hmm. you've helped them. You've addressed their pain, what they want. They 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 can see it now, but they've got to sell it upstream. Potentially, Mm -hmm. you may not be working with the decision maker. That's usually. Especially, if you're working with a company that has a lot of products a lot of times you're working with people who buy those products not ultimately people that are driving the division or our dr- executives but they've got to, if you're moving beyond their budget and you're selling this vision it's probably not in their budget mm-hmm. which is a risk right and we still had I want to I want to underscore that point we don't you know sometimes we don't want to oversell something we don't want if they can only afford and, and, and the reality is they can only buy a product or maybe a, cu- a bundle of products, mm-hmm. you, you sell this vision that's going to cost 10X what they have a budget for, you may be shooting yourself in the foot. So you've got to be careful. But let's mm-hmm. just say you're working together, you feel like you need to sell this vision up. You're saying, make sure that you can specifically quantify and help them sell the story, the vision to the to mm-hmm. the other people in the organization who ultimately... You're going to be there now. Did you try to go with them to help them make that presentation?
1: No, I I try to. And and again, I think a lot of people listening to this will agree that you don't always get a chance to do that. This is where the specific language becomes so important. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I've heard other methodologies describe the concept of preparing your champion, arming your champion, right? Mm -hmm. You remember, you know, Saul put, Uh, his armor on Daniel to go forward, uh, David to face Goliath, right? That's the idea, you know, so you got to arm your champion to go forward and do battle. I don't like that analogy. We're not fighting, (laughs) but you get the idea. But again, you get the idea. You're you're preparing them, giving them the tools to go forward, right? So the language you use to describe the current state, right? And the language you use to describe that future state has to be crystal clear and simple. Mm -hmm. That way, Every conversation that happens without you has a higher chance of carrying that emotional weight mm-hmm. because you picked great, simple phrases to, to send forward. That's those heuristics for the emotional pain. Now you can get more people bought in, right? Those words are catchy. Those word pictures are really catchy. Yeah. And now if someone repeats chasing chickens to the next person up the line, that person now says, yeah, I don't want to chase chickens. And now they'll participate in that time study. They'll, you know, hey, we're working with IBM. We're going we're gonna to try to stop chasing chickens here. Mm-hmm. That could really help you feel better. Let's go ahead and give this IBM guy some ammunition to go back and quantify this solution for us. Will you actually track the time it takes for you to monitor these alerts? By the way, how many times were you wrong this month? Oh, 32 and a half times. Mm-hmm. 32 and a half times. All right, cool. I'll go back by myself and calculate how much that cost us. By the way, you're fired. 32 is way too much, right? Get out of here, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, that's what happens when you can get clear on that language. Those pictures that quantify, or excuse me, that encapsulate that emotion, right? Now they're willing to help you do the other work of quantifying this complex, or uh, as we said, intangible value, right? It gives that uh, substance to those intangible metrics of things like that Uh, again and it can go way outside of technology right let's oh think about it you're saving time for those data center maintainers Mm -hmm. they got better satisfaction so that means you can retain more talent hey talent retention just made it to the annual report we just talked to wall street about increasing employee retention by 30 Mm percent now your little (laughs) measly plumbing solution your enterprise middleware that doesn't seem sexy at all. Ooh, now it's helping the CEO's vision of employee retention because you took the time to help translate that and find the value in that vision that made sense to the entire bottom line, to the I enterprise solution. I love it.
0: Right? Well, I, I, let me wrap it up because I, I think just I think you've made some really good points. It, it really is a simple, really approach that makes so much sense, but it's actually really simple. You're saying start, okay, set your product aside.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: set your 10,000 products aside. You might want to leverage of something hot, new, right? To get in the door, right? We got to start with the, maybe a perceived problem that the customer has, but we, we, mm-hmm. we'll we get in the door, set all that aside, even though they may want to talk about the thing that they know you for. How oh, IBM provides this, let's talk about that. But let's set that aside and say, you have a current state. Everybody you're talking to has a current state and they have a desired future state. Like I think of it as I'm going to, they're on one side of the canyon and they they want to go on the other side. And I want to know what mm-hmm. that is, why they want it, what's at stake, why is that so important to them? Why, why? yes, why? Why mm-hmm. is that so? And what's mm-hmm. their what's their plan without you? What's their plan to get there? That allows you to step back and create and know what the right solution is. And then when you go back to articulate how you can help them do that, keep it simple, organize it around the current state, the future state, same thing, the same bridge to, and the plan to get there, give them the tools and the language to make it simple to communicate that back to either, whether you communicate it to them or they need to communicate it upstream. And that's how you sell a solution and mm-hmm. become one of the stars at IBM. Um, yeah. Uh, now you're teaching other people to do the same thing.
1: That's it. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time. I had no idea that even way back then in 2008, 2010, way back then, I was using these universal principles that now you guys have been so good over 20 plus years before me to articulate and quantify into these Aslan concepts. So I was using Aslan before I knew how to spell it. Right.
0: <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, there's no new truth. You know, there's a, the, the, the most effective way to sell and serve your customers is the most effective way to sell and serve your customers. I mean, we're not changing that. We're just, our role at Aslan, as you know, is just to help sellers make it easier for them to understand that and apply it and, and recognize the truth. Because ultimately, there are certain laws that drive why people buy what Mm -hmm. motivates people to buy, how you can communicate to them, what drives relationships. And so that's really our our role is in in selling is really to understand what you described today is like, what's, and I think of the bridge is really their whiteboard. What's on their whiteboard? Mm -hmm. What do they, what do they want and help them get that and be better at helping them get that than the other, other options that they have. Mm -hmm. We've had another great episode, man. I love having you on the show, Jason. Um, And if if the, if you guys enjoyed Jason's Uh, message as well as the podcast, please share that with us online. Um, Give us a review and uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like so that we can improve and do a better job of serving you. And thanks again for joining us for another episode of Sales with Aslan.